sorry, I'm distracted by my phone. Um, how many of you have a smartphone? Okay, you don't have to get it out. I know I did this to you before. Um, anybody here have a dumb phone? Yes, some dumb phone people. I like that. Now, I didn't say dumb. I don't. I don't mean dumb phone people. I mean dumb phone people. Okay, I, not offend. I don't mean to offend anybody, but um, yeah, there was a day when phones were for calling people, but those days are long gone for most of us. Um, how many of you have an iPhone? Yeah, you snooty people with your iPhones. Think you're so cool. The rest of us are like doing Androids. Um, so I've always been jealous of iPhone people and your, your Siri. That's the thing I want. So yesterday I downloaded, Android has a version of, of Siri now or several that you could choose from. And so I downloaded a personal assistant. What is the meaning of life? That is the first time I've heard that. Last, ser last sermon, I did the same thing. I said, what is the meaning of life? And she said, 42. <laughs> yeah, so I got that, which is really cool. It will tell you jokes. It will get you where you need to go. It will open things. It will play music for you. It does all that cool stuff, right? So I have that. I also have this other cool app, which is the Yahoo Fantasy Football app. Yeah which I know some of you know about because I see you looking at it while I preach on Sundays. Um, so we have all these cool things. My phone does everything, man. It takes videos and pictures. I know your, your phone does too. It's amazing all these apps that I have, all these things I could do with my phone. But there was a day when cell phones were not smartphones, right? There was a day when, you know, the really, really cool phones are the ones that flipped open. Everybody want to have a flip phone? Yeah, the Razor. Remember the Razor? Everybody had to have a Razor. That was pretty cool. Um, so, so there was a time when we actually used these things to call people. And do you remember those days before there was as many cell towers as there are now and all that kind of stuff, how common it was to drop calls? And you just, you're just talking with somebody and... You're just speaking, and you're going on and on and on and on, and you finally stop talking, and there's nobody listening, right? And you go, hello, hello, and you realize that somewhere in your long paragraph, the phone drop, the call dropped, and you lost them, right? And you're talking, and there's no one listening. And or sometimes they're talking, and you can't hear them. Or, or sometimes there's just static on the line. Remember that? It's not so bad anymore, right? It's, it's funny. I was thinking about this. I, I rarely drop calls anymore. And so there's like a tower at every other house or something now, so we get them. But, but it used to be static on the line all the time. Or do you ever have it where when you talk, your voice echoes back at you? And you're hearing yourself talk. It's so distracting, right? So um, the reason I bring this up is because we've been talking about this issue of um, how to hear God's voice, how to recognize God's voice. We're we're getting into the subject of communicating with God, and we've been saying that 
that communication with God is a two-way street. It's not just that we pray and God listens, but in fact, God speaks and we're supposed to listen. There is supposed to be communication going on between God and us, and we've talked about all the different ways that that could happen, but sometimes stuff just gets in the way. We said that um, one of the things that God does is He speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. We said that's the, the safest, surest way to know that you're hearing from God because His Word is true. And we've said that sometimes He speaks in a more subjective way. It's, it's kind of internal with the Holy Spirit living within believers. And there are promptings and there are, there are uh, you know, He does a convicting work in us. And sometimes He'll guide us into something that, that we would have never known to get to ourselves. And it's sort of subtle and it's really hard to say this is the voice of God and this is not, but he's, he works as our guide and he leads us from inside. And we talked about that and we said there's another thing that he does. He speaks to us through other people. We talked about that last week. Of course, the problem with that is some people are filled with the Holy Spirit and some people are full of something else. And you never know exactly whether when someone is speaking to you, you're getting what God has to say. And so there's this challenge, and it keeps growing. The first week when we talked about hearing from God, and we held up this book, and we said, read this book, and you will hear from God. He speaks today through the Word. It was easy that week. But as it gets further, and we start really digging into this question of how does God speak, now there gets to be subtleties, and there's challenges involved, and it's not always so easy to know when we're hearing the voice of God. And sometimes... It feels like we cry out to God and we ask Him to respond and all we hear is silence, just crickets chirping. And I go, where is God? A lot of times it feels like there's an interruption. So today, I want you to know something for sure. This far into this series, I want you to be convinced of this one thing, that our God is alive and He is well and he is speaking today just as he has ever spoken in the past, and that he cares about you, and he knows about you, and he has something to say to you. And if you will simply call upon his name and listen for his voice, I can absolutely guarantee you that there will be days when you still don't hear him, no matter how hard you try. That there will be times when you're still confused, and you'll be going, should I go left? Should I go right? What is God's will for my life? Sometimes there's just static on the line. Sometimes it just seems like there's a bad connection and, and there's nothing but silence. And I cannot give you three easy steps to making sure you always recognize and respond to God's voice. I wish I could. I'd love to do it, but I can't. You're going to have to actually walk with him yourself. You're going to have to actually get experience under your belt of getting to know him and recognizing what it's like when he's prompting you and moving you. And you're going to have to do some trial and error and figure it out. And you're going to have to say, Lord, I think you're leading me this way. And you're going to start walking this way until you becomes very clear that you got it wrong. And you're going to have to say, Lord, I'm sorry, redirect me. And you're going to have to go back another way because that's what it is to walk with God. It's a very personal thing. And you're going to have to do it personally. But no matter how you do it, there are going to be times when you struggle to hear God's voice. In, in the book of Acts, there's a story of these two great men and this huge mess that they get into. And I'm going to introduce that, and we're going to turn to it in just a minute. But, but the, the two guys are guys that maybe you've heard of. One of them, I'm sure you know, 
His name is Paul. He used to be called Saul. He's the great apostle who wrote, you know, half the New Testament, right? He's the the great man of God that we've read about and heard about. And, And when we talk about you hearing God's voice through God's word, much of God's word came through the pen of the apostle Paul. He's famous. He's a great missionary. He's a miracle worker. He's a great preacher. He's this amazing man of God, and most of us know about Paul. The other guy that's key in this story is a guy that maybe we don't know about as much. In fact, most of us don't even know him by his name. We know him by his nickname. He was named by the church Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. So they gave him a nickname. You know how like when you're on a team, sometimes they give the guys nicknames based on what they're like? Like me, they, they always called me skinny. That's what everybody called me, you know? So you get these nicknames, right? Well, Barnabas had a nickname. His nickname was Barnabas, son of encouragement. And the reason for that is when you read the book of Acts, you find Barnabas all over the pages of the book of Acts. Now, where you find him, every single time you see Barnabas, he is always doing the same thing. Every time he's encouraging someone. Every time he's coming alongside of someone and propping them up and helping them to be all that God wants them to be. In every single passage where you meet him, that's what you're going to find him doing. So you may know Paul, but Barnabas is this amazing man of God. In fact, go back to the beginning and remember this. Paul wasn't always the great apostle Paul, right? Once he was Saul of Tarsus. He was the uh, Pharisee who was charged with the responsibility of hunting down Christians all in the area, finding them and either putting them to death or putting them in chains and taking them back for trial where they would likely be imprisoned or put to death for blasphemy because they were followers of Jesus. He was the most, um, he, he was, he was the, 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 the most pro- prolific terrorist to the Christian church in his day. That's who he was. And we think of Paul as this great guy. I'm telling you, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Barnabas is this amazing man of God, and Paul is a very questionable character. But we know what happened with Paul. He was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus interrupted his life in a profound and miraculous way and made him a follower of Jesus and called him to be an apostle and to serve him and to suffer for him. And Paul spent the rest of his life doing that. We know that. But I want you to know that when we pick up their story in the book of Acts chapter 9, Paul is a very sketchy character, okay? In fact, he's not even known as Paul yet. He's known as Saul. Acts chapter 9. And we're going to pick it up in verse 26. Now, Paul has had his conversion, or Saul has had his conversion, and he started preaching Christ, but he's not having any success. Here's what's happening. Wherever he goes to a new town, he comes in and people know who he is, right? He's the guy who has been hunting Christians. So he comes and he finds Christians and he says, hey, I'm a Christian now. Where's the Bible study tonight? And they go, "Uh, I don't think I'm going to tell you where the Bible study is. He cannot get accepted by anybody in any of these towns that he goes to. And so he decides he's going to go back to Jerusalem and he's going to try to go to the apostles, but the apostles don't want to see him. Somewhere along the line, he meets Barnabas, and Barnabas listens to his story, 
And Barnabas sees the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And Barnabas sees his giftedness. And Barnabas decides he's going to come alongside as an encourager and lift him up. So Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was, and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So he comes and Barnabas brings him with him. Barnabas is the one with credibility here. Saul is borrowing Barnabas's reputation. And Barnabas goes to the apostles and he's, he can get an appointment with the apostles. Okay, If you read the first part of Acts, you'll find out that Barnabas is also the biggest financial giver to the church. So he gets an appointment with the apostles. And he says, I want to meet with you guys and I want to introduce you to a friend. And they walk in and the friend is Saul and the apostles freak out, and, and Barnabas goes, no, 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 let me tell you what I've seen happening in his life. And slowly and gradually, they accept him, and he begins to preach, and all kinds of chaos breaks loose. And they say, you know what? It would be better for the church if you went back to Tarsus, and they send him away. Okay. So in the early part of the story of, of Paul and Barnabas, what it always says, every time you meet them, it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And there's a, there's a change that takes place, and from that point on, it becomes Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. It's kind of interesting. So Barnabas, this great man of God, who had the respect of Christians everywhere, used his influence to help Paul get his start in ministry. And there were some men in my life, men who had credibility, men who had, had um, connections, men who had opportunities in ministry who saw in me when I was just a young punk who thought I wanted to preach the word, and they saw, they saw something in me, and they said, we're going to give you our credibility, and we're going to give you our pulpit, we're going to give you our opportunity, and they taught me, and they gave me opportunity, and to this day, I am so thankful for those men who invested in my life in that way. That's exactly what Barnabas, the great man of God, did for Paul, and Paul eventually became the man we think of now as Paul. Acts chapter 15, let's see what happens. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. By now, Paul and Barnabas have already been on their first missionary journey. They have already been all around this area, and they have planted churches and preached the gospel, and there are many churches there, okay? Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they have this idea, let's take another mission trip. This is not unlike like um, this past year, I went on a mission trip to Uganda. Why did I go? Because I have an ongoing relationship with the church in Uganda and I go back to, to build into them and encourage them and build them up, right? So that's what they were going to do. They, they had started a relationship with these churches, and now these churches needed to be fed and encouraged and supported. And so they had this great idea, let's go back. So they decided to do that. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. 
Now, this guy, John, called Mark, he's, he's Barnabas' cousin. And so I don't know whether his mom told him, you got to take Mark, or I don't know how that worked, but he had this commitment to Mark. Mark had been with them on the first missionary journey, but what happened on the first journey is they got about halfway into it, and the Bible says Mark deserted them. And we don't know why. We don't know what happened that caused Mark to desert them. We don't know whether he left for a good reason or a bad reason. We do know this. Paul was not happy about it. In fact, it cost Mark his credibility in Paul's mind. And this is Mark, by the way, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So we're talking about spiritual giants here, Bible writers, right? We're talking about Paul and Barnabas and Mark. These guys are amazing men of God, and they want to do this thing for the Lord, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. But look at verse 38. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now, in the Greek where it says that there was a sharp disagreement, it really doesn't translate well into English. In, in Greek, it's the, it is the strongest term that you can use to describe the severity of something. When it says they had a sharp disagreement, probably what we would say today is they got into a fight. Now, I'm not saying it was a fist fight, but I'm saying it was serious. This was not, they thought about it, they decided, well, maybe you should go this way, maybe I should go this way. They went at it. This was the kind of thing that got tense, and they probably raised their voices, and they probably said some things they shouldn't have said. It was that kind of disagreement. It was so sharp and so strong that finally Barnabas said, you know what? I'm going to take Mark with me, and we're going that way. You do whatever you want. And Paul took a guy named Silas, and he went back on the original journey that he was planning to go on to encourage the churches. So they separated over it. Verse 40, Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we got Paul, and we got Barnabas, and we have Mark, these great men of God, and they're arguing. And what are they arguing about? God's will. They're trying to figure out God's will, and these great men of God can't figure it out. There's one Holy Spirit, right? He's not telling one man one thing and the other man another thing. It, should, it seems like they ought to be able to just humble themselves and pray and put their heads together and solve this. Should Mark come or not? Seems easy. But these men of God, with all of their efforts, could not discern the voice of God. What was God's plan here? Either both of them were wrong or one of them was right and the other was wrong. And we still don't know which. Actually, you would probably, you would probably side with Paul. I mean, he had deserted them. They had given him a chance. It made sense that he would feel the way he does. But we have no idea what God's will was in this situation. But it's interesting, as you go on, now we have Paul and Silas together, and they're going on this journey, right? Pick it up in chapter 16, verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Let's stop there. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What does that imply? It implies that they wanted to speak the word in Asia, right? They were planning to go to Asia. They mapped out their map to go to Asia, and somehow the Holy Spirit spoke to them in such clarity 
clear tones that they knew that he was forbidding them to go to Asia. Verse 7, and after that, they came to Mysia, and they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So again, these men, Paul and Silas, great men of God, are just trying to do what they believe is God's will, and they want to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus says, no, you cannot go to Bithynia. I'm not going to let you go to Bithynia. Verse 8, and passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So these great men of God, first of all, could not agree on, where, on who should go on the trip. Then they couldn't agree on where to go on the trip. All they're trying to do is figure out God's will in this, and they can't. They want to go to Asia. They can't go to Asia. They want to go to Bithynia. They can't go to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit will not allow it. Then Paul sees this vision, and he knows that he's being called to Macedonia, right? So he's going to go to Macedonia, and as they get on their way to Macedonia, they're just trying to honor God. Now, I know that all of you in your mind have a great picture of the ancient Middle East, right? You know how the map's all laid out and where all these cities are, right? Okay. Well, no, you don't. All right. Here's how it works. Um, so this area of Macedonia has, it's like a region, and it has a number of key cities in it. Among them is a city called Philippi, which is on the Aegean Highway, which is an absolutely essential trade route. So it's one of the most important cities in the area. And there's another city not far from uh, Philippi called Thessalonica, which is also one of the great cities of the ancient world. Okay, so these are two key essential cities in Macedonia. So what do they do? They go to Macedonia and they run into all kinds of trouble. They come to Philippi, and when they get to Philippi, what happens? Paul comes into town, and he begins to preach the gospel. There is a girl who has a demon. The demon is cast out of the girl, and everybody gets upset, because you know how people get mad when you cast out demons, right? So everybody gets all upset, and they beat them in the town square, and they throw them in prison, okay? So they're beaten and bleeding in jail. Then there's a terrible earthquake, and then they get out, and they run for their lives and leave the city. That was their ministry in Philippi, that they saw a great vision to come to. And they go to Philippi, and all they get is beaten and jailed, and through an earthquake, they escape, and they run for their lives and leave the city. They were there a couple days. What a waste. Then they get to Thessalonica, the next big city, and when they get to Thessalonica, no sooner do they set up a place to preach and they start to preach, then all of a sudden there's a mob coming and they look at the mob and they go, what is this mob all about? Who is the mob after? The mob is after them. It's the men from Philippi who have come all the way to Thessalonica to chase them down and they chase them out of Thessalonica. So this big Macedonian trip that they saw a vision for sent them to Philippi, which got them beaten and thrown in prison and chased out of town, and Thessalonica, which got them chased out of town, and they shrug their shoulders and go, gosh, I thought we were hearing from God. Isn't that interesting? These great men of God struggled to know where to go. They missed God again and again and again when they try to make their plans, and then when they finally are sure they're hearing the plan, 
nothing worked out the way they thought it would. Have you ever been there? Lord, I'm just trying to do what you want me to do. Could you just make my way clear? That's what was happening with these guys. Why am I telling you all of this? Because it's essential that we understand this is Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark. These are people that are way godlier than you and me. And they couldn't hear God sometimes. Sometimes there was static on the line even for them. Even the most mature and godly among us sometimes misunderstands God. Sometimes we all lose our way. Sometimes we all become unsure about God's voice and His plan for us. And, and here's one more example of this. will blow your mind. Go to um, Matthew chapter 11, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We all know who John the Baptist was, right? Would you agree that John the Baptist was a great man of God? Would you agree that John the Baptist was a man of great faith? Let me tell you about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's faith was so great that he had unshakable faith in Jesus even while he, John, was still in his mother's womb. Remember Mary came to visit Elizabeth when they were both pregnant? Elizabeth with John and, and Mary with Jesus? And when Mary walked in the room with Jesus in her womb, what did, what did uh, John do? It said he leapt in her womb. Like he starts doing cartwheels in his mother's womb just because he's in the presence of his king. And he's a fetus. It goes on. He, he lives his whole life for Jesus. He's the forerunner for Jesus. He pays an immense price to preach the gospel that there is one coming who is greater than he is, right? And then he gets to be there when Jesus comes down and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And Jesus comes down into the water and John, his cousin, baptizes him in the Jordan, right? Can you imagine this? He baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus comes up out of the water, John looks up, and the Holy Spirit is descending from heaven in the form of a dove coming down upon Jesus, and then a voice from the heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Do you think John knew who he was? Of course he did. He was confident in who Jesus was, but things had taken a turn for John by now, and he finds himself in jail as we come to Matthew chapter 11. He's in jail, and he's about to lose his head, and he's been jailed just for preaching what the king didn't want to hear. Chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. So he says, I want you to ask Jesus something for me. And he said to him, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? What? Has he completely forgotten the voice from heaven? Has he completely forgotten that he, that he has known since infancy, before infancy, he has known that Jesus is the expected one. But what happened? His circumstances changed. Things began to go in ways that he did not predict or expect. And he began to wonder, have I missed God altogether? This is John the Baptist, the person whom Jesus called the greatest man who had ever lived. See, guys, 
if you struggle to hear the voice of God, if you sometimes struggle with your faith, you're in pretty good company, aren't you? This is part of what it is to be human, and we're going to unpack that a little bit in the little bit of time that we have left. Here's the thing. I don't care how spiritual you are. Sometimes we all have trouble hearing the voice of God. Sometimes we all experience static on the line. What causes that static? I want to get, I want to get practical here. Now, there's no one thing that causes the static on the line with God. But there are many things that are possibilities, and the first is the most obvious one, I think, and that is sin. When there's sin in my life, and I'm just clinging to my right to do what I want to do, and I'm being my own Lord and my own King and doing my own thing, what happens to my relationship with God? It just begins to shrivel up, doesn't it? And, and, and I, I stop hearing the voice of God. I want you to turn in your Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. We're going we're gonna to look up a few verses in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 59. Now, in Isaiah's gospel, he's almost always preaching to the nation of Israel as a whole, the people of God in their day. And, and, and a lot of his um, prophecies are very specific for them in that time and that place, and we need to be careful not to just lift them up and go, this is God's word for me and my time and my place. But there are principles that we find in here that translate, and this is one of them. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not too short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So we might as well, if we're going to be serious about walking with Jesus, we might as well start here. When you're struggling to hear the voice of God, maybe the first place you need to look is the mirror. You need to begin to ask God to search your heart as the psalmist does. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. We need to cry out to God and say, Lord, show me. Is there something going on? A lot of times we don't even need to ask, do we? We know exactly what's going on. And we have to deal with it. He's writing here to believers. These are his followers. And he says, listen, there are going to be times God will not hear you. And that doesn't mean he can't hear you. It says his arm is not too short. His ear is not so dull. It's not that he can't hear you. It's that he doesn't pay attention to you. He won't engage in the conversation with you. He's not listening to you. Why is he not listening? Because you are continuing on a path that he is trying to get you off of. Psalm 66, verse 18. David says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. This, it, it's a two-way street, this communication with God. He doesn't even listen to us sometimes. I know that's shocking. That's hard to believe, especially when we've been propped up so many times and told how special we are. But listen, God doesn't have to listen to you. God doesn't have to answer you. It's all by grace, isn't it? And so when we're walking one way and then expecting God to, to dance for us, he's not interested in dancing. Another thing that can get in the way when it comes to creating static on the line 
is just our basic humanity. It's not just that we're sinning. It's, it's that we are limited as human beings just by virtue of the fact that we are human. We looked at this um, a few weeks ago, but, uh, or maybe it was last week, but turn back to Isaiah 55. It's right there um, where you're at in Isaiah. Turn back to Isaiah 55, and let's look at verses 8 and 9. God's speaking to us, and here's what he said. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, it's just simple math. God is infinite. You are finite. You don't understand. There's a lot of times I'm convinced that God doesn't speak to us about something because we are not ready or able to hear it and understand it. It would be like if you, if you go out in your backyard and you see a big anthill. You see there's millions of ants crawling around in the anthill and you know that in a few minutes, the gardeners are coming, and they're going to run over this anthill with a rototiller, and all of these ants' lives are going to be seriously disrupted, and you just feel bad for the ants. So you get down on your knees, and you start reasoning with the ants. And you start explaining about the rototiller and the effect that can have on their community and all of that. Now, how much sense does that make? The ants can't understand. It's not in them to understand. That's the same thing. You ever see parents who are reasoning with a six-month-old? Like somebody needs a spanking there, and it's not the kid, right? Like if you're reasoning with a six-month-old trying to explain the intricacies of, you know, morality to them, you're stupid. Because we need to understand they do not have the cognitive development to even grapple with what we're sharing with them, right? And yet we sit here, compared to God, we are stupider than an ant. And we think, why doesn't he explain everything? Why doesn't he tell me everything when I ask him? Part of it is our humanity. We're just not able to hear. We're not able to understand. And so there are things I'm convinced he just doesn't answer because we're not able to understand. Sometimes, I know you're not going to like this, but sometimes when you ask God something, he says, because I said so. And we have to accept that because he's God and we're not. So that's another reason that could be static online. A third reason is that sometimes, um, well, not sometimes, all the time, we're involved in spiritual warfare. I don't have a lot of time to spend on this and really unpack this, but, but let me just be clear. There's a battle going on, guys, and we are in the middle of it. And sometimes we, we're in the middle of this battle and we're acting like there's no battle going on and we can't understand why there are explosions all around us. One of, the, one of the things that can happen that can interrupt your ability to hear from God is that the enemy is fighting against you hearing from the Word of God. And he will do all kinds of things to interrupt, all kinds of things. And I want you to see this in the book of Daniel. So if you're in your Old Testament, just, I don't know, it's about seven books to the right of where you are in Isaiah, to the book of Daniel, toward the back of your Old Testament. Daniel chapter 9 and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to read you this passage, and I'm not going to be able to fully explain it because I don't understand it. Daniel chapter 9, there's stuff going on in the spiritual realm that we don't get. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is crying out to God. He needs some information. He needs to hear from God. Daniel, by the way, is a prophet. He's used to hearing from God. And in chapter 9, verse 20, he writes this. 
Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, when the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Isn't this the way you would like it to be? He says, the moment you prayed, God dispatched me to bring you the answer. And who is this? This is Gabriel. Who's Gabriel? Archangel. Okay? This is big time angelic leadership. Gabriel. This is the angel who came to Mary and pronounced to her that she was going to be pregnant with the Son of God. This is Gabriel, the archangel. And he has been dispatched to Daniel. And as soon as he gets there, he says, listen, here's what happened. As soon as God heard your prayer, he immediately dispatched me. And now I'm going to give you the answer. And he lays out the answer to him. Wouldn't you love it if it happened like that every time? But go to chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 10. Then behold, this is another time he's praying. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. This is another angel. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Once again, isn't that awesome? From the first day that you prayed, from the first moment that you asked God to answer you, I was sent. But, verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who is a demon, was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the prince with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what happened to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to you and is yet future. Okay, I am not going to get into who is this prince of Persia, who are these kings of Persia. I don't know. Here's what I know. In the spirit realm, there is stuff going on that we don't understand. He cried out just like he cried out before, said, God, I need to know. And God immediately dispatched an angel with the answer. Apparently, that was a common way for God to speak to Daniel. And he dispatches an angel with an answer, and the angel is interrupted on his way by this prince of Persia demonic force, and there's literally a fight going on for 21 days. So for three weeks, Daniel is crying out and hearing nothing from God. Was it sin in Daniel's life? No. Was there anything that he done wrong to cause this? No, it was simply there is spiritual warfare going on. And I don't know how all of that works. I don't claim to be an expert on all that, but I'll tell you this. The enemy of our souls is very interested in keeping you from hearing from God. And one way or another, he's going to do what he can to distract, to distract you and to disrupt you. And that's how it works. Another thing that can put static on the line is just our circumstances. This is pretty simple, right? 
when things get tough, remember what happened to John the Baptist? When you're in a jail cell and all you can see is those four walls, your perspective changes. When you're in difficult circumstances, sometimes all you can see is those circumstances and you quickly lose sight of what's real beyond your circumstances. And a lot of times you're not hearing from God because all you're concentrating on is your circumstances. And sometimes we need to take God at His word and say, God, even though this is happening, I trust you. Even though I'm struggling, I seek you. Even though I'm hurting, I worship you. And we need to keep that connection so that we can hear from God in the midst of difficult circumstances. There's so many things that can get in the way. What do we do when they get in the way? Because the bottom line is this. It is hard to hear from God sometimes. So what do we do when those things get in the way? And we're having trouble hearing from God. First, very quickly, obey what you already know. I know that sounds easy, but I'm telling you, this is 90% of it. 90% of the time, if we would just get the sin out of our lives and obey what we already know, the, the, the communication line would be wide open. Remember this, the scripture says that God's word is a lamp unto your feet. Now picture this in their day when they would walk with lanterns, right? That God's word is a lamp unto your feet, and as you walk and his word is a lamp unto your feet, with every step you take, there is enough light given for the next step. And sometimes the deal is we're saying, God, show me the rest of the path. And God is saying, take the next step. Do the last thing God showed you. Trust him when he speaks through his word and it's not controversial or confusing. Trust him. Do what you already know to do. Secondly, and I'd already mentioned this, deal with any known sin. You just got to confess and repent, guys. We all sin. When you sin, turn back to God. Don't linger in it. Don't wander off. Don't hide yourself and wallow in the pit. Turn back to God and experience forgiveness. You know, and we won't look this up, but you can, you can do this for homework this week. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 23 through 31. Proverbs 1, 23 through 31. It talks about what can happen to our communication with God when we are not dealing with the sin in our lives. And basically it says... He will reject you and set you aside until you deal with it. That's hard to face, but it's true. And finally, do a freedom check. Here's what a freedom check is. Remember this. Most of your life, you are free to do what you want. God has given us enormous amounts of freedom. He has given us all kinds of privilege to make choices. When you come to the Del Taco drive-thru, God doesn't care if you get a taco or a burrito. You don't have to spend time praying over this. Although after you eat the burrito, you may have to spend some time in prayer. But, but you, God is not so concerned with, you know, what shirt you put on today. There, he gives us all kinds of freedom. And I'm making these little examples, but how about this? Where should I go to college? Who should I marry? What should I do for my career? Do you know that in most of those cases, I believe God's answer is be filled with the Spirit and do what you want. He gives us tons of freedom. So ask yourself, is this an area where I have freedom and God's not responding to me asking what to do? Because he's saying, hey, hey, do what you think is best. Go to whatever college you want to and serve me there. Marry whoever you want to, but love them the way the Scripture calls you to love them. 
God gives us a lot of freedom. And finally, keep listening. All you can do is all you can do, and it's frustrating when you're not hearing from God. And if you checked all of these things and you still don't know what to do, keep listening. It was 21 days before Daniel ever got that message. And I've got a lot longer than 21 days on some things, and I bet so have you. Keep listening. Keep pressing in. Listen, God is not trying to be evasive. In Jeremiah 29, it tells us that he has a plan for us, a plan for good and not for evil, a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. And then he says this. He says, seek for me and I will be found by you if you seek for me with all your heart. God's not hiding. God's not interested in keeping you at a distance. He's trying to draw you in. But as you keep seeking, hang in there. Don't lose heart. He is speaking, even through the static. He has something to say to you. Don't miss God's voice because hearing His voice and responding to it will change your life forever. Let's stand together.